Brian Nichols, you're a great man with some great ideas, a great podcast. Do you see why he's my favorite libertarian people? <laughs> yes. He's full of common sense and wisdom. Brian Nichols here on The Brian Nichols Show. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. Today I'm joined by easily one of the best of the best, Matt Kitty. Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. Hey, Brian. It's good to be with you. By the way, let me take a step back and say I love what you're doing. I love the conversational style, and it's a combination of good fun and serious ideas. I love the fact that your show's doing what it does, and, and this is how we win the future. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest-growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. There's so many things that we can do to make America freer and the world better and safer and more peaceful. Everybody has the responsibility of trying to help to do that. You know, what you're doing with your podcast is a perfect example of, you know, you're doing this as a labor of love and for the cause, and that is exactly what we have to have. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Friday. Yes, because it's time for another fun-filled episode of The Brian Nichols Show. I love Friday because I get to talk to you fun-loving folks here at The Brian Nichols Show audience. And if it's the first time joining The Brian Nichols Show, well, welcome. I'm, I'm so glad to have you here. We have a lot of fantastic guests. And today is no different. Uh, today I'm joined by a, a great friend of mine, Thomas Connerty, to discuss the um, the LGBT town hall that the Democrats had back last week. Now, Thomas is a self-identified Christian conservative, a, a you know traditional Christian conservative who believes in traditional marriage. And um, it was interesting. Thomas had tweeted on on Twitter uh, about how you know with the LGBT uh, activism and progressivism that we've seen, um, that now they're trying to use government to uh, hurt tax-free organizations like churches, schools, and, and so forth. And uh, he said, "Well, you know, this is why we got to go back to where we were." And um, I, I said, "Hey, you know." But I, I, I say this now, uh, we actually did have a, a pretty lengthy Twitter back and forth, and I just felt we were talking past each other. And so, Thomas, you're, you're a good friend of mine. You know what? Come on the show. Let's, let's, let's actually have a conversation. I think that's going to be more productive. We can actually see where our differences are and actually maybe where we're, we're saying the same thing just in a different way um, and hopefully find some common ground. I think, you know, we're going to leave the show today feeling that we found uh, some common ground and at the very least some understanding. And I hope you folks at the Brian Nichols Show audience find that as well. So without further ado, on to the show, Thomas Connerty here on the Brian Nichols Show. Thanks, Brian. Thanks for having me on. Good to have a conversation with you. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you. And, and honestly, Thomas, this has been a a long, 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 long time coming. You and I have been uh, following each other on Twitter since I think it was 2015 during the primaries. And you know, we, we became really close buddies then and just going back and forth in terms of, I know you were more libertarian and now I dare say you're mm -hmm. more socially conservative. And I think there's definitely a, a great opportunity for us to kind of figure out, I guess, number one, where we started to, I guess, disagree. I don't want to say the word disagree. We just kind of, we distances ourselves in some of the, the areas of agreement, but we still having have the, the fundamental core principles that we agree on. So let's kind of just first start off my audience, maybe who doesn't know who you are. Um, you, you do have a, a pretty nice Twitter following there on, on Twitter. So let's kind of introduce who you are and, and what brought you to this political world. Yeah. So I've been on Twitter, uh, with this account for probably, I don't know, four or five years now. Um, was always interested in politics growing up, watched a lot of, um, uh, political talk shows with my dad and got really interested during the 2008 election when uh, Barack Obama <clears throat> won. And uh, ever since then, I've been following the news really closely and um, majored in political science in undergrad. Uh, it was it was 
during my um, spring semester of my first year as a college student that I first started this Twitter account. Um, it was originally an anonymous account that did a lot of memes and that kind of content. And that's originally what, what got me the big following. Um, ever since then, when I've, I've come out as a real person, my following has steadily, steadily declined. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's just been something I've been always interested in, uh, grew up with it, and have some pretty uh, firmly held beliefs that I think are important to articulate. For sure. So let's kind of start out there, right? Um, I think it's it's good to, to kind of figure out how my my audience – or rather, let me rephrase that. It's good for my audience to get to, to learn how my guests got to where they are politically. So um, let's kind of rewind, right? Back in 2015, you and I – first cross paths on Twitter. And I think we were both pretty much in the Rand Paul slash then Austin Peterson camp um, after Rand mm-hmm. dropped out. So we were, I think, both pretty staunch in, in being libertarians, um, be it small L or big L, regardless. Um, but over the past four years, I, I've noticed, especially when it comes to social beliefs and, and more particularly mm-hmm. looking at issues of religion, um, I've found you've been much more vocal and maybe a little less as it would pertain to the libertarian um, perspective. But you've still, yeah. you still maintain like a, a pro, I'd say, um, I guess a, a pro liberty oriented approach when it comes to economics and, and foreign policy and so forth. But it's really the social stuff that's kind of, I've seen a little bit of a, a difference between the two of us. So let's kind of walk through since 2015 to where we are today in 2019. What's, um, what's changed in your perspective or what has maybe reaffirmed in your own uh, beliefs that has led you to uh, how you went from a libertarian to where you are today? So I would say I started off when I first started listening in on politics. I started off as sort of your typical like Glenn Beck conservative. Um, and then as I grew up, got to my later teen years, I was sort of naturally drawn toward libertarianism. Um, I really liked the ideas that it was espousing and especially at a time where it felt like government was really overreaching um, during the presidency of Barack Obama. But I would say during college, um, I became more religious. I became more serious about my Christian faith. And then um, I attended what's called the Intercollegiate um, Studies Institute Honors Program, which is a program that gives students several books and then invites them for a week-long conference out on the West Coast. Um, When I attended that, I was exposed to a lot of conservative ideas that I felt were more consistent with my growing religious beliefs. And um, I felt like libertarianism wasn't really taking seriously the the worsening social conditions that our culture is experiencing, um, especially as it pertains to sexuality and questions of um, gay marriage and transgenderism. So as I became more religious, it started to trouble me to see those ideas not being taken as seriously. Um, I also sort of became more community-oriented uh, in that I felt – as though libertarianism was minimizing the need for humans to have uh, organic communities with other people, to have associations like their families and their churches. Um, and now libertarianism, of course, emphasizes voluntary association, but I just felt like the reality of our culture was that it was going to be – the state was going to play a role in fostering um, uh, fostering communities or it was going to play a role in – uh, making communities worse off, and it's it's done the latter. It's made them worse off, and I think I think we need to sort of combat that at least at this stage with a little bit of pro pro family pro community um, policies. Gotcha. Um, and we'll we'll dig in more to just the differences that you and I share when we're discussing the actual topic of today. That that is 
um, discussing that of the LGBT town hall, right, that took place mm-hmm. over on CNN. And this this is actually what would spark the conversation today between you and I. So back, um, I forget when it was, I think it was earlier this week or late last week, there was the LGBT town hall over on CNN. And uh, Ben O'Rourke, uh, being the you know brilliant frontrunner he is, <laughs> uh, he, he was asked, um, do you think that religious institutions like colleges, churches, charities should lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage, to which Beto, uh, Beto said immediately afterwards, yes, any pretty much any mm-hmm. organization, private or public, who discriminates on the uh, basis of their homosexual, or their, rather their sexuality, or or what have you, that they should lose that tax-exempt status. Now, I don't think there's any disagreement between you and I in terms of that's insane. And, and actually, it's it's mm-hmm. funny I've seen. Uh, in the, the following days, I mean, even some front runners, and I say true front runners, not, not in the joking sense that I said Beta was a, uh, a, a yeah. front runner, but Elizabeth Warren, uh, came up and she said, you know, despite all of her, her crazy, um, her crazy policies that she's promoting, she even said, I was like, no, that's, you know, that, that's a little bridge too far. And, and even Pete mm-hmm. Buttigieg, who he himself is a, a gay man running for president as a Democrat said, no, again, this is, this is just, you know, it's too much. We, we, we as an American society value the ability for people to freely choose what they'd like to do, um, w- without being forced to by government. And the, you know, again, that voluntary sense right. of, of being able to enter into a, a, a transaction, you know, willingly. Now, granted, that will is immediately disappear when they start talking about gay cakes. Um, but uh, let, let's kind of <laughs> just, right. yeah. So let's kind of go back to um, what started this conversation. So it was a, a tweet I noticed from you, and mm-hmm. you basically said, you know, back in 2015 when this whole um, discussion with it was uh, Obergefell versus Hodges, and it was like, uh, and I'm paraphrasing you, so maybe you have the tweet available right there, but. Basically saying, um, right now where where we are in 2019 versus 2015. 2015, you were saying, you know, hey, what's going to happen when, or how is it going to impact you directly with same sex couples being allowed to marry each other right. in Obergefell? And then here we are in 2019. And then it was the video uh, of Beto talking. Correct. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yep. Okay, so I responded, um, and I basically said, how how is that? impacting you from the perspective of the the same-sex couple it's actually the government who's doing this not the people so i don't want to misframe or or straw man your position so kind of walk through what was it behind your um your thought process that got you to um you know going ahead and posting that tweet in in the manner you did yeah so uh a couple of things first i would say that a lot of people predicted that this was always going to be the result. And I'll say you're right that Warren and Buttigieg both um, expressed disapproval for Beto's idea. But I still think um, that that idea is not that far out of vogue for the mainstream Democrats today. Um, Beto's proposal at the actual town hall got applause. It got loud applause. So I'm just not convinced at this moment that Democrats are actually that far off from fully adopting that type of an idea. Um, which is which is really frightening. Like you said, we do both agree that that is not a good idea. Um, but I will say that in 2015, and when when Obergefell came down, I was in support of Obergefell at the time. But um, a lot of religious liberty proponents were saying, "Let's slow the brakes here. We have to understand that there are going to be implications of this case will have implications on religious liberty." And the majority opinion and didn't really give much purchase to that. They, they kind of just brushed over it really quickly. But it's sort of coming to fruition. And the point that I was making was when we kind of get, we, we surrendered this fight really easily. 
social conservatives really did not put up that much of a fight when it came to um, same-sex marriage. But we always sort of predicted that this was going to happen. So we shouldn't have given up the fight so easily. Now, the other part of this is I think where you and I disagree is you're more willing to sort of parse out government from the LGBT movement. Whereas for me, I've seen government the last four or five years been co-opted as a tool to achieve the social ends that the LGBT movement wants to achieve. So that parsing for me is not quite as neat as maybe it is for you. Um, I don't see government in this instance as just sort of an independent actor just doing whatever it wants. It is if churches were to lose their tax exempt status, it would be because um, the LGBT agenda has sort of mobilized the government as a tool to achieve its social ends. Um, and so my point is, we always kind of understood that the machinery of government was going to be used um, to enforce sort of a cultural orthodoxy. And that's exactly what's happening. And we were told that it wouldn't happen, but we sort of always predicted it would. Um, and now that's that's what Beto is proposing. Gotcha. Okay, so let's let's kind of go back there to one of the points you raised, and that is about government being used as a tool, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think, and, and this might be like one, one of the, the foundational disagreements in, in terms of just principles, right? Is that I guess I'm looking at the argument saying, well, the LGBT movement is now using the the force of government to impose their beliefs upon the rest of the citizenry, including mm-hmm. social conservatives, um, or just in general Christians in general, right? But my argument isn't so much of the fact that they are looking to have same-sex uh, weddings and such, but more so that now that they're using the power of government, it's showing that really the problem isn't so much the movement. It is more so, though, the problem being the fact that government can cause so much chaos and so much problems just by being co-opted so easily. And I mean, right now in America, it, we're pretty much at a, a 51 to 49% flip between Republicans and Democrats controlling the White House or, or controlling mm-hmm. Congress. So I guess I am more in looking at where we are as a society. And I'm saying, I don't know really if I'm comfortable with either side co-opting government to impose their particular beliefs, be it the same sex agenda or the social conservative Christian agenda, regardless mm-hmm. of the, and, I, and again, I hear the merits on, on your argument saying, you know, the value of this, the, the, this is the family really that, and that's really what it comes down to. Right. But at the same point in time, the exact power that I think a lot of the people in the social conservative camp are looking to give government to frame marriage in their vision is the exact same power that can so quickly and so easily be then taken away and used against them under a, you know, President Warren or President Harris with, you know, a, a Nancy Pelosi as the Speaker of House. They, they would set the precedence to really move things forward and, and create no, uh, real alternative out there because now that power has been ceded to the government. So that's kind of where my initial concerns are. Where do you think I'm missing the ball? So I'll say that we 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 agree that it's troublesome on a national scale for government to be mobilized as a tool, um, really by any move any movement. I don't like governing from a national scale. I think trying to govern 350 million people from one city is it's not a good idea. Um, the country is frankly too big to be governed by the national government. Things need to be returned to the states. So and we had our conversation on Twitter. Um, I mentioned that it would be a start for us to return to sort of pre-2015 
um, status quo, which was mm-hmm. the states are deciding whether or not they want to have same-sex marriage. I don't find the reasoning of Obergefell to be compelling at all. I don't find that there's a constitutional right to marry whoever you want. Um, and to boot, there is – I think this is where we'll start to disagree. There is a longstanding and historic power of state governments especially, but governments generally to regulate the institution of marriage. And traditional marriage is obviously a millennia-long institution. So it wasn't as if – it's not as if I'm, I'm asking government to work some radical change in the functions that it's historically played, um, but rather to more constrain itself. Because if you think about it, marriage is not uh, – marriage is an, an entitlement. It's a, it's a positive right as opposed to a negative right. Um, if you go back and read Obergefell, this is the point Tom, uh, Justice Thomas makes. Um, essentially – the, the same-sex couples that in Obergefell were asking the government to extend to them um, an entitlement. So it's not as if the government was infringing on some negative right, as might be the case if there was a ban on sodomy. But instead, it's extending a positive entitlement. Um, and and the, going back to the point you made earlier about you know the machinery of government can be used by progressives. We don't want to empower it to make to make our agenda changes because then it can just be flipped on us. And that's right. But at the same time, somebody is always going to be controlling government, right? And progressives have shown that they really have no problem co-opting government to enforce their social, cultural orthodoxy. Uh, we look at obviously the same-sex marriage cases, but also Jack Phillips, uh, masterpiece cake shop, being forced at the essentially the threat of a massive fine, being run out of business um, because he doesn't want to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. And that type of thing has happened in various iterations with photographers. Um, uh, designers of wedding invitations—they're all being forced at the threat of at the threat of, uh, of a gun being pointed at you or a massive fine being levied against you to participate in the same-sex um, wedding ceremony. So the cultural orthodoxy is being enforced either way. My point is, maybe we shouldn't be as afraid at this point in our history and at this sort of juncture in our, our culture, we shouldn't be as afraid to return to the status quo or to at least advocate for returning to the status quo because. Progressives are do it. Progressives are doing it themselves, and I think this actually gets at the heart, ironically, of the debate between David French and Saurabh Amari about, you know, is there like a good neutral marketplace of ideas that will sort of govern us benevolently? And I think the answer to that is ultimately no. At this stage, you need to be a little bit more uh, ready to counteract what the progressives are doing uh, in the same method that they're doing it. So, um. Recognizing extending a right to same-sex marriage was not so much an act of government restraint, but it was sort of an extension of government power, and it's going to take an extension of government power to undo it. I don't think it will ever be undone, but that's my perspective. So so I I have a couple of things to unpack there. So the first one would be the the – so the looking at Obergefell, right, in, mm-hmm. in that the – really the crux of the argument – was that it was violating the Fifth Amendment as per uh, violating the Fourteenth Amendment, being that of the Equal Protection Clause. Um, so yeah, essentially. Little, so I, I would cabin it a little bit. It was more of a substantive due process case. Anytime you read a Justice Kennedy opinion, you're going to be a little bit confused coming away with it, whether it's a whatever the, whatever the legal reasoning of the case is. But yeah, it's it's sort of a hybrid Fourteenth Amendment due process equal protection. So so with that, right, um, there was a, an amicus brief that was filed by Cato, um, the Cato Institute. Mm-hmm. And in their argument, they argued that the with the 14th Amendment's Equal Protection Clause, um, when it was ratified, 
that they the ratifiers didn't automatically or explicitly understand um, that it essentially wouldn't uh, eventually require states to recognize same-sex marriage, but that was irrelevant because all that matters was when it was passed in 1868, the, the law was for a state to deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws, that would be considered to be unconstitutional. So when you're saying an equal protection of the law, marriage being a a law, really, or a, a, I say a law, it is codified by a law, which then would lead to me as my libertarian uh, self saying, well, ma- government shouldn't be in the marriage business. That should be a, a social um, a social decision that you make, whether it's, you know, on your own, independently with someone that you, you love, or if it's something that you want to make as a vow before God when you go to a church. Um, but it is the fact that government even has any um, inkling of interest in marriage and that is really, um, you know, from from a, a purely revenue standpoint, looking to see what they can get from, um, you know, two people in the household together um, who are married. That's where really government has has played its role, not to really frame a positive society, but looking to to get more money from from its, its citizens. So my argument would be number one, and it, well, number one it, about the equal protection clause being that's really mm-hmm. the, the foundational basis of Obergefell. Uh, what a fun name for a, a case, Obergefell. <laughs> um, but then yeah. also, number two, and it kind of goes into my overarching point, is that it is the fact that government has this power in the first place that's causing a lot of our misery, right? Um, you know, the, the fear of progressives using the state to um, promote their progressive agenda, it's entirely because they they know that the, the state has that monopoly and power. Conversely, the mm-hmm. magatarians out there um, who who want to you know go ahead and and promote their vision of a, you know a perfect society, they're looking to do the exact same thing using the state to basically create the framework for their vision. And I think both are equally dangerous um, because each are looking to grow the size of state, which the state has shown to be. The, the greatest cause of human strife and misery throughout all of history. So I just don't, I guess I'm having trouble trying to find the, the logic train of acknowledging that the equal protection clause technically granted the right for people to engage in a contract with each other under the existing law, but it doesn't, it, it doesn't stand to reason, I guess, that you'd want to then increase the size of the state to promote your ideas when it can so quickly be used against you. And instead, I just think we should try to really take the teeth out of the state and its ability to, to do this to the, the citizens. Um, and then I think we'd all find, you know, this much more live and let live mentality where people who want to be more socially conservative or live a, a pure Christian lifestyle can do so freely. Um, you know, you mentioned Jim Phillips and the masterpiece, uh, masterpiece cake shop. You know, that right there, a perfect example. Um, you know, he shouldn't be forced to bake the cake. And the only reason that people were trying to force him to bake a cake was because government had been, uh, putting its, its, you know, toe into the waters of mandating, uh, who must make a, a certain product based on discrimination laws. Um, so again, I think if we were to look at all the, the disagreements, they all end up coming down to, you know, what's, how did this happen? How, how did we get to where we are? And I dare say a lot of the, the times we look at what's the underlying cause almost 99.9% of the time, it's going to be government. Yeah. I don't I don't think you're uh, wrong about that. I think it really does come down to that fundamental issue about what is the proper role of government in a well-functioning society. Um, and I think that there is a role for government. And historically, even in the United States, 
for a long time, there has been a role for government to play a, to play a part in regulating the morals of its people. So there are laws dating back for a long time, both in the United States and England and Rome, all all throughout history, showing that it is a proper end of government to regulate and maintain the morals of its people. But really because, quick, Thomas, like that, that's the one thing I, I, it drives me crazy, though, is because like, well, government also said that slavery was legal. They also said Jim Crow was legal. So just because it's legal doesn't make it moral. And I just I hate yeah. drawing that line. I, I agree with that. And um, I think that's a that's a fair point. But um, I don't see that those I don't see how those um, examples necessarily undermine the point entirely because there are plenty of good things that government has done. Um, I know that probably pains your libertarian heart to hear. <laughs> it did. My, my, I literally, but, I, I was like, oh, please, no. <laughs> no, I mean, it, it has. It has <laughs> done good things. Um, and if you take a more holistic view of a person, he's not just sort of an economic consumer. He's more than that. He has, he has a soul. Um, and making sure that he's going to flourish, not just, you know, materially but also in an intellectual sense and in a spiritual sense is part of making and fostering a good citizenry um, and i would say that government regulation of marriage is so historically founded not just not because of tax benefits necessarily i mean a lot of this the prim primary responsibility for regulating marriage is on the state governments um, it's been a historical of state governments to regulate marriage and the definition of marriage so um, a lot of states are less concerned about revenue. I think what states are more concerned about, and this has been what the concern has been throughout history, uh, the, the family, the normal traditional family is sort of the bedrock of civilization, right? It's the way that we communicate ideas to next generations. It's the way that we ensure that next generations exist. Um, it gives people belonging and meaning and it gives them a sense of membership. That's what makes people happy. It makes them willing to keep going through life. Um, so certainly for that reason alone, government would have an interest in making sure that marriage is serving those ends. Obviously, besides that, there's the interest of, well, um, you know, how will, how will um, estates be passed down through descendants and who will take care of children, what will guardianships look like? So there's all types of technical um, reasons to be concerned about the state's involvement in marriage and to sort of support at least some level of involvement. Um, you mentioned earlier, too, the sort of live and let live with Jack Phillips, and I don't think that that's necessarily a, a bad impulse, but the fact is we're playing on one side of the court where we're playing by the rules of you know live and let live, and then on the other side of the court, they're playing with, well, we are going to constantly keep using the machinery of government to make your life horrible and try to put you out of business and try to ruin the work that you've you know put into your business for the last two decades. Mm -hmm. So I think we have to be a little bit more realistic about what we're actually, you know, what are the means that we're adopting? And again, I would go back to the French Amari debate about whether there's sort of actually, whether there is actually a neutral market that's going to govern these things or whether that's actually a centrally planned economy. And we're just kind of like, we're, we're just kind of along for the ride. Whatever happens to us happens to us. And um, I don't think we need to take that latter approach. So let me um let me ask you this. So wouldn't it stand the reason then, since it, it, let's take the analogy you gave about the the playing field, right? That we're playing in this live and let live uh, mentality, whereas the left is saying, screw this, we're going to use government and we're going to impose our will on you, whether you like it or not. Wouldn't it make more sense just from a, a purely like trying to move things forward and and not have this happen in the future? 
wouldn't it make more sense just to remove that power from government entirely so then it can't be used as a weapon? Because I, I mean, And that's that's part of the problem I'm having is that it just seems like instead of trying to win arguments and, and people's hearts in, in the court of public opinion, but also in, in just trying to, you know, show the merits of, you know, the, the way of life of, of a Christian mm-hmm. or of a social conservative, we're trying to then take government and say, you know what? We can't win, but damn it, we're going to use government and we're going to make it, make it so we win. And, and that's just going to create resentment, I feel. And I just, I just feel this is going to, if anything, it's going to expand the problem. People who are, you know, in, in same sex, uh, relationships are going to revolt and i understandably so from my perspective um but then you know lgbtq allies would also revolt and i just think then there then there's going to be the other sentiment of saying okay so conservatives and christians want to take over government to to get rid of um you know same-sex marriage protections well guess what we're going to mobilize we're going to come back you know even stronger and when we win next time we're going to take it you know even a step further you know what we're going to do we, we, we said it was crazy back when he said it back at the, the LGBT CNN town hall, um, you know, uh, town hall debate on, on same sex issues. But damn it, we're going to follow Beto O'Rourke's plan and we're going to make it so now churches and schools and colleges who don't, um, respect same sex institution or the same sex marriages and such, we're going to get rid of their tax breaks. And that, and that's what we're going to do to, to punish these, these mean Christian conservatives. Don't you see that as maybe being a very real, happening based on the approach you're taking um i don't it might be i mean it's possible that they would do that as retribution but honestly i don't think that they need that initiative in the first place i think that there's a very good chance that this is going to happen regardless of whether or not conservatives actually engineer takeover of government and sort of impose a government that is more focused on actually promoting like spiritual welfare um there's a Beto, like I said, Beto's proposal got a lot of applause at this town hall. This is not something that is that far out of the democratic mainstream. And so um, I don't really – I don't think that there we have to sit back and, and wait for the battles battle lines to be drawn. I think they've been drawn already. We're still scrambling. And meanwhile, progressives are happy to you know to march on by and they're going to keep marching forward and forward and forward to keep getting concessions. And it's it's not going to work for us if we're just like, oh, well, we can't do anything about it. Because we have these principles that are actually not useful for promoting the type of culture and the type of country that we want to promote because it's so laissez-faire and it's so hands-off that you know you, you leave a void there and that, that government is always going to exist. And this might be where we disagree, but government will always exist. It will always regulate contracts. It will always regulate things like marriage because it, it has a role in doing that for the purposes of passing on states, for purposes of, of assessing taxes like you mentioned earlier and for a whole host of reasons. It's always going to play a role there. Um, there's no changing that. There's no changing the fact that marriage is, I think, more than just two people contracting. It involves, you know, it involves children. It involves setting up households. It involves a lot more than just two people entering into a contract. And besides, government already plays a role in regulating contracts. I and mean, two people can't just go out and contract to do whatever they want. There are a lot of constraints on people's ability to do that. Um, for instance, a court might strike down or might refuse to enforce a contract because the contract's obligations violate public policy. Um, and so for that reason, I, I sort of take a more, I think, a realist view of it and I say, this is something that's always going to be going on. Government is always going to have a presence here. Um, there's no changing that. You can advocate for government to get out of it, but I don't think it's going to happen. And I don't think it would necessarily be a good thing if it did happen. 
Um, and so when I look at what progressives have used government to achieve, I say, well, conservatives, you need to be a little bit more, um, a little bit more, a little bit more willing to, to retake the machinery of government as has existed for millennia now to achieve the social ends that people have viewed as legitimate for millennia. So let me ask you this, because we're, I can't believe we're getting to the point of the end of the show. This has been a good conversation though. That's why I wanted to have you on the show. Cause I, I've been, these are things we've been going back and forth on Twitter. And I think it's like, this is the first time we actually can like flesh out our arguments and positions. Yeah. Um, so I guess my question then comes it is why risk pissing off, the progressive base to the point that they would then be mobilized to go after, um, you know, social conservatives, Christians, libertarians by using government in retribution to this and instead just, just try and win in the, 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 the marketplace of ideas. Try to, try to win people over with are your arguments instead of trying to, to force them to modify their behavior by using the force of government. Why not go that, that approach instead? Um, this that's be I would say we shouldn't go down that road necessarily because that's sort of the rules that we've been playing by now for a while, and it's failed. It's if you're a conservative who believes in traditional marriage, the marketplace of ideas has not really been a marketplace for you. It's been essentially it's been essentially controlled economy. It's but how though? Because nobody's forcing the, nobody's forcing social conservatives or Christians to get involved in a same sex relationship and i mean i'll give the supreme court credit where credit's due in terms of with the jim phillips case they ruled um in favor of jim phillips saying well no he he shouldn't be forced to bake a cake for a same-sex couple no no more than a, a jewish person should be forced to bake a cake for a nazi white nationalist and i just i i think we i think a lot of americans just don't want to bother each other they they want to i mean basically matt kibbe's book don't hurt people and don't take their stuff. Like, if we can just live like that and not have each other's actions negatively impact one another, which, I mean, I dare say, I understand the argument from a social conservative perspective saying, well, you know, same-sex marriage is violating, you know, the, the ability for us to, to continue growing as a nation just because it violates the, the, you know, biological but also Christian norms. But at the same point in time, nobody's forcing it upon you as an individual or you in your life. Like you can engage in relationships with people voluntarily, whether you, they're, you know, gay, straight or, you know, bisexual, transgender, whatever it may be. You can make those decisions in your own personal life. And I think, you know, you're going to have libertarians on your side in a heartbeat when they start saying, no, you, you have to bake that cake, bigot, or no, you have to, what's, what was the one, um, transgender, uh, gentle person up in Canada who is asking a, uh, a lady to, to wax his, his nether regions. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, well, I, I would respond to all that by saying, um, I think we almost, you might almost be underestimating the extent to which Christians or and anybody of any religious faith that believe in traditional marriage, the extent to which they're actually being compelled to not, not only recognize the legitimacy of, but also to participate in these ceremonies. Like I said, Jack Phillips won at the Supreme court. He, he won a seven to two opinion. But he won because commissioners on a Colorado um, board had pretty much disparaged his religion. So there's really no articulable principle going forward out of the Masterpiece Cake Shop decision saying that Christians can't be forced to participate in the same-sex wedding ceremony. Um, and if you go back and look, you actually see Jack Phillips has been involved in litigation even after the Supreme Court decided his case because several other people went to his store and then – he told them, no, I will not bake this cake for your transgender transition. And um, these things are happening all the time. If 
you do sort of a search on an illegal database, you'll see there are dozens of cases since Masterpiece of people, like I said, a photogra- a wedding photographer, wedding video uh, videographer, um, wedding invitations, even Catholic charities are all being forced in a way either at the threat of, of losing their business, losing their livelihood. Um, they're all being forced to participate and recognize same-sex marriages. Uh, and the same, by the same token, uh, children in public schools and public libraries are being exposed to um, drag queens dancing in front of them. And, you know, the government is doing all of these things. These are all public, these are public bodies that are, that are doing this. So when we sit back and we say, well, the marketplace of ideas will just sort itself out, I don't really buy that anymore. I, I think I did believe that for a long time. I sat back and watched and the marketplace of ideas has really failed. Instead, it's, be, it's being directed. And, and maybe this is where we disagree, but I do think it's essentially planned economy rather than a marketplace because it's the, there's a dogma that is being enforced at the threat of massive fines, at the threat of losing your livelihood. Um, ben Shapiro said the other day that if his if, if Beto O'Rourke came to his door saying, you need to send your kids to an indoctrination camp, that he would meet him with a gun. And I think that's the impulse that's really behind like the Sorab Amari French debate. It's looking at the situation and saying, all right, the government has been pretty much at important levels, at the educational level, at the enforcement level. It's being taken over by this dogma that is really hostile to traditional beliefs. Um, the more we sit back, the more that progress is just going to keep invading the government. Um, so at some point, I think – you know, we need to take a stand against it. Hey, you know, all I'm hearing, though, is is just an argument to abolish all these different branches of government, abolish <laughs> the education, abolish the, the law enforcement, and let's let private entities where there's no more monopoly on, on force or monopoly on education, like, let's let these alternatives then actually have a chance to flourish in a marketplace, right? Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't necessarily disagree that things need to be decentralized. I, I very much prefer local governance. But, oh, dude, um, I'm I'm all on board with federalism. Like, like right, I, I've had, 100%. yeah, I, I've had like members of the Federalist Party of America. Like, I, I, um, oh my goodness, William F. Buckley Jr. Uh, he's the president. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, he's the president of the the Fed. Well, he president pro tem, I think he was of the Federalist um, Party of America. And I had him on my show because you know I'm a I'm a big fan of of you know at the very least. I mean, I, again, I don't disagree. I I 100 acknowledge we're gonna have government. Like, it's not going away right now because the you know, I say right now probably ever. Um, because of just how indoctrinated a lot of the, the populace are. But I dare say with the advancement of technology and, and the mediums like Twitter and, and, you know, Facebook, despite their flaws, um, they are allowing the younger generations to communicate and get different ideas. I mean, what we're doing right now, this is, um, you know, a great means to actually discuss, uh, these topics in a, you know, Hopefully, I, I hope I, I, my audience will walk away feeling educated, enlightened, and informed. Um, you know, but in, 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 in yeah, exactly. Like, but in an educated way, um, versus this, you know, this mainstream media, CNN, you know, two minute segment where you have Mr. Conservative screaming his head off and you have Miss Progressive screaming her head off. And it yeah. ends with the, the, you know, the host saying, Oh, I guess we'll never know what the answer is. And then they go to, you right. know, a 30 second commercial break. Like, if we're able to continue to have this kind of conversation, I, 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 per- I personally feel that we're going to see, a, a much better society in terms of being respectful and, and, um, understanding and tolerant of one another's beliefs. Um, because we'll, we'll know so much more in terms of just content and information, but also we're going to know a lot more people. Um, I mean, I dare say everybody listening to this show 
can off the top of their head think of someone in their lives they know who is, uh, you know, a, a, you know, in a same sex relationship or they themselves are homosexual, um, or maybe somebody who is transitioning or is transgender. Um, you know, the, this, this is something that we're all starting to experience because, you know, our, our social circles have expanded so, so mm-hmm. vastly with the invention of the internet. So that's why I think social conservatives are going to have a really hard time trying to, to, you know, really put this genie back in the bottle as they're trying to do because we are all so connected, um, that it's going to be almost impossible. But I, I, I think the glimmer of hope would be from a social conservative perspective is that because of this interconnectivity, we all are going to be able to respect each other a little bit more. And yes, you're going to have your, your, your rabid, you know, feminist who's going to be screaming at somebody at a protest in an Antifa hat, right? But they're going to be in the minority relative to the rest of us. And, and that's, you know, with the, the mainstream media starting to finally uh, face its ultimate demise. I mean, I, I dare say within the next 10, 15 years or so, like TV as we know it is going to be pretty much just all subscription services with live sports being on TV because people right. are just so sick and tired of the BS from CNN. I mean, the whole Project Veritas thing that, just came out with yeah. Jeff Zucker. Like, is any, let's just say like, you know, half of it's true. Like, yeah. would anybody be surprised? No. And does it really change anybody's no, opinion? No. Yeah, like CNN's on its way out. We get it. Like Fox News is, is for the boomer grandparents. CNN's <laughs> for the boomer, uh, you know, boomer grandparents on the, the, the left. And then you have like the, the rest of the folks maybe watching a little bit MSNBC. Um, but I think a lot of people are getting more of their news from online. Um, you know, they're listening to podcasts and, you know, they're asking their, their Google homes or their Alexas to, to read them the news while they're cooking dinner and giving them their flash news briefing. So I'm hoping that we're going to see a little bit of a change there. Um, and I, I, I guess, you know, t- to finish things off, cause we're getting towards the later end of a show, Thomas, what, what's kind of your vision, I guess, of where things are going forward and kind of where do you see this, um, this end or I guess heading to, in the next 10 years or so based on either how things are currently going or how you, you think things will end up going if um, the social concern movement is able to mobilize and, and you know go more towards uh, 2015, as we said at the beginning of the show. Yeah, so um, I, I would not say that the prospects are super positive from my perspective. Um, like I said, you know, there are students who need public schools because they can't afford a private school tuition. Um, there are students who need to be exposed to these things. There need to be public libraries because people can't afford access to, um, you know, books and catalogs and online databases and whatnot. So these things are always going to exist. Um, and I don't think that the alternative needs to be, well, we can either just get rid of them or we can just let progressive ideology completely uh, ruin them for everybody. Um, but from, you know, so from there, I think, uh, public institutions will likely continue to be influenced more and more by progressives. Um, you're going to see, you're going to start to see a lot of Christian conservative parents removing their kids from the public school system, um, because things are going to probably just keep getting worse and worse from their perspective of, you know, I don't want my children exposed to these ideas about sexual orientation and transgenderism and whatnot. Um, I do think though that younger generations, like the generation immediately below us is a little bit disenfranchised with sort of the, current liberal orthodoxy of sexual liberation and whatnot. Um, I think it's a little, I think the, the generation below me would be susceptible to um, reordering society around different ideals than we have now. Um, if, if we can sort of convince them um, to, to get on board this, this train, then, you know, maybe there's a chance, but I think um, more likely than not, that things are just probably going to continue to get more and more difficult for social conservative moving forward. Um, there's probably going to have to be a withdrawal from certain public 
um, institutions like public schools. Uh, and maybe you have, you start to see like a, a Rod Dreher strategy of the Benedict Option where Christians and conservatives are sort of just focusing on their own communities and fostering rules and norms for those communities um, and just sort of letting the public institutions go their way until things rectify themselves. Or or we just, you know, go into even more debt and you know, we just have yeah. a, a collapsitarian kind of approach. But uh, we'll see. Uh, but until then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And until then, I want people to be able to, to you know, at least get some uh, some some interesting um, content, at least from from you, my my fantastic yeah, guest. Make, at least we can make the demise interesting. Exactly. And exactly. I'm on board with that 100 percent. So where can folks go ahead and follow you on uh, on social media so they can stay up to uh, up to date with all the happenings over in uh in Thomas Connerty's world, but also all the uh, the advocacy you're pushing for uh, for for social conservatism and Christianity. Yeah, so you can follow me on um, on Twitter. I'm at Thomas underscore K underscore C, um, and then um, Instagram is more of a personal thing. But feel free to follow me on that. Just Thomas Connerty, I think. Um, don't quote me on that, but yeah. So <laughs> if you want to follow me on LinkedIn, good for you. Um, but you can just look up my name there. Awesome. And, and I cannot recommend folks Thomas's uh, Twitter enough. I mean, I said it at the beginning of the show, pretty much we've been following each other for the past four years or so. And, uh, you know, despite having some of these, you know, different disagreements, especially when it comes to an issue like this, you know, Thomas and I are always very respectful. And I dare say we've become really, really good buddies. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I definitely appreciate you, Thomas, for taking the time to come on the show and, and to have a conversation like this. Um, and it's a, it's, it's nice to know that we can see that in America still where people disagree on a topic and it's not a matter of screaming like, Oh, you're just promoting sodomy. And then like, Oh no, <laughs> you're just a, you know, religious zealot. Like we're that, right. th- if it was on Fox news, that would be the approach like, like yep. that, that would, and it would be gross and nothing would be productive. But yet here we are, we're able to have a conversation and I think, you know, we, we leave the conversation. I understand your position better. I hope you understand mine better. And I hope the audience understands both of ours better. So uh, yeah. awesome. Well, listen, man, I, it was a blast having the show. Thanks so much. I, I definitely want to have you on again in the future. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. And that was my conversation with my good friend, Thomas Connerty. And I hope folks that you left the conversation feeling like I did, um, that I, I better understood where Thomas was coming from. And I hopefully, uh, feel that he understood where I was coming from too. So, um, you know, if, if you enjoyed today's episode, folks, maybe there's some people in your life that you think could hear this conversation, please do, do me a favor, share it to them, uh, send it their way. I would greatly appreciate it. This is how we, number one, spread the word, but also really how we change hearts and minds. Uh, I, and I can't do it without your help. So please, if you could, my challenge to you this week, share to at least five friends, just, just five, you know, whether it's a DM, a, a, you know, posting it on their wall. Is that still a thing? Posting things on people's walls, um, or, or, you know, tweeting it, whatever, whatever is your medium. I would appreciate you, uh, you know, helping us out and getting the word out there. But also if you could do me one more favor, that is head over to wherever it is you get your podcast, but mostly Apple podcast, because that is where the, the, the heart of podcasting reviews lies. So Head over there, five-star review. I would greatly appreciate that, number one. But number two, if you could just write a quick blurb. Why do you listen to The Brian Nichols Show? What is it that makes you come back every single week and just be the awesome member of the audience that you certainly are? I would appreciate that like I could not describe. Um, if Folks, if you enjoyed me, right? Hey, I... I say some fun stuff, I guess, sometimes, head over to social media on Facebook and on Twitter, both at B Nichols Liberty. Facebook, fire memes, a lot of interesting articles. Twitter, snarky political banter. And uh, yeah, I just love Twitter. It's easy, it's fun, it's concise, and I can honestly reach a lot of people um, that 
Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to reach. And I, I love the opportunity to, to meet with uh, some of you, you folks in the audience who you know DM me, and I really do appreciate the feedback you guys give. Um, and I also love the fact that you guys are so supportive. So, uh, you know, my, my Twitter family, thank you for all you do. Fritz Cast, looking at you, man. You, you do a lot of great work over there as well. Uh, and folks, if you haven't listened to Fritz Cast, it's a great show. Um, definitely check it out. It's it's one of my all-time favorites on my newsfeed. Caleb Franz over at Mill Liberty. Um, there's there's a dozen other shows um, to listen to as well. I think I actually went through that in one episode, but I, I you know, I'll have to think of what the episode uh, episode title is um, to share that with you next time but there's a ton of shows out there head over to libertarianpodcast.com and you will find the most immense wonderful spectacular collection of libertarian podcasts that are out there all the way from the Jason Stapleton program we are libertarians lions of liberty Johnny Rocket yours truly Fritz Cast Remzo Republic Austin Peterson's Freedom Report I mean they're, they're all on there um, so go through and check those out and of course if you do go to their audience and you listen to a couple of shows, make sure at some point you say, hey, Brian Nichols sent me your way. But hey, folks, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for joining us today and signing off for Thomas Connerty. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.